Uh, this morning's passage, we're in 1 Samuel, and that's uh, chapter 8, and that can be found in our Blue Bibles, page 277. So that's 1 Samuel, chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people that are, listen to that, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king as they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the, Lord, the king who will reign over you will claim as his right. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and, go, and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone, go back to your own town. This is the word's Lord. This is the Lord's word. Good morning, everyone. It'd be really helpful if you can uh, keep that passage open. 1 Samuel 8. Uh, let's pray as we begin and ask for the Lord's help. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have the words of eternal life. We ask, Lord, you would speak to us now, speak into our hearts and minds, we pray. Teach us your ways and help us to see the Lord Jesus as he is, our King. And may we understand and respond rightly to what that means. And we pray that in his name. Amen. Now, there is perhaps no more typical an idea of a ruler or leader than a king. Uh, the image of a man enthroned in royal splendor with a crown upon his brow is familiar to us all, and not just because most of us are British. Uh, the concept of a king is part of who we are as human beings. It's an ancient title that has endured to this day. It's an image, an idea seeped within our culture, materialised through art, theatre, film, music and literature. Uh, but a king is also quite a divisive figure, is it not? When we look back through history, we see kings being revered, idolised, even deified. But kings have also been deposed, usurped, assassinated and executed. Even with the coronation of King Charles, there were clear divisions. Some showed their support, lining the streets, dressed in their pageantry and waving their flags. But others expressed their protestations, holding up placards and crying out, not my king. Now, as Christians, we might wonder what our opinion of a king should be. And I guess it depends on what kind of king we're talking about. If it's one like King Charles, then I guess we should think of him as any other monarch or political leader. We acknowledge that ultimately God appoints them, they lead in some capacity, and then he removes them. In other words, they come and they go. Uh, this is what the prophet Daniel says of God in Daniel chapter 2. He deposes kings and raises up others. Of course, the, the idea of a king is an important one in the Bible. It's, um, the three offices in Israel were prophet, priest, and king. And the Lord Jesus, he fulfilled all three of those offices. He is the true prophet, he is the true priest, and he is the true king. And as God's chosen eternal king, our opinion of him and response to him, well, that really does matter. And these verses in front of us, I think, will help us see why. Now, as we continue through our Bible journey, we have kind of two stops today focusing on the sort of royal theme. Uh, tonight, we'll be looking at the theme of throne, which I think has a, a very hopeful message tied to it. With our passage this morning, it is perhaps a bit more of a, discussion, a discouraging story. 
So we kind of need to pull the positive out of the negative. But here's the first point for us, which is this. We have the rejection of the heavenly king. The rejection of the heavenly king. Look with me from verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his son as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Bathsheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So at this point in the story, we find ourselves in the time of the judges. There is no king. And the prophet Samuel, who is now getting on in his life, when he appoints his sons to rule, to judge over Israel. But we're told neither are suitable for leadership. Uh, They don't follow their father's ways, and both are embroiled in corruption. The Israelite elders, not happy with this, approach Samuel and say, rather judges leading Israel, we want a new form of government. We want a monarchy. Verse 5, appoint a king to rule over us. Now, this demand for a king was not wrong in and of itself. It was permissible in accordance with Mosaic law. Uh, Deuteronomy 17 indicates the time might come when Israel would want a king. Uh, But those verses have sort of certain provisos, and there should be a table that will come up on the screen. This is taken from um, Deuteronomy 17, and it just sort of outlines this for us. Now, the most important thing that it says, is that the king was God's choice. So not the people's choice, but God's choice. Uh, It also had to be an Israelite. So not a foreigner, one who perhaps was following a false religion and a false god and who could easily tempt people into their ways. No, it had to be someone who was faithful, a faithful Israelite, who would follow the Lord. But also we're told that they wouldn't... Uh, They shouldn't acquire many horses. So that's the idea of not trusting in military might, trusting in the Lord for victory. They mustn't take many wives. And so they're not to trust in the physical indulgence and personal status, things like that. They mustn't accumulate great wealth, not putting their trust in their riches, their personal riches. And they should also have a copy of the law to read so that through that reading they would come to revere the Lord and follow his decrees. They would become a good example for Israel to follow. That was the point of the king. He would lead faithfully and the people would follow. And the effect of such a king is given to us at the end of Deuteronomy verse 20. It's on the screen. It says, Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. You see, a godly king means a long and probably prosperous and peaceful reign. Now, to have such a king leading the people would be a good thing. It would be a good thing to ask for. 
And so we see that the elders' request, it doesn't seem at first perhaps unreasonable. But the issue does come with verse 5, which says this, appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. You see, their demand for a king went against that framework of Deuteronomy 17, where the Lord wanted a faithful and godly person to lead his people. The Israelites desired a king who might have uh, power and wealth and prestige, where God's king was to be morally distinct and set apart. The people wanted to blend in and have a king like all the other godless nations. And we see that this displeases Samuel. Now, he might have been initially stung by his own rejection from Israel, but it's also likely that he saw the ungodly motive behind their request. Uh, And in any event, Samuel takes his concerns to the Lord, who reveals the real problem that's going on here. So have a look down at verse 7. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, God is saying to Samuel, look, don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You see, God has been their king, but they don't want him. Verse 8 tells us that they have rejected and forsaken him since he brought them out of Egypt. Many years to where they are now. And since then, they still have not wanted God to rule over them as their king. They have disregarded his salvation, his provision, his guidance, his leadership. And in a way, Israel have been like those coronation protesters shouting, not my king. They rejected the heavenly king. And instead of worshipping God as they should, they wanted to substitute him for an earthly king. And that brings us back to the problem of idolatry, something that we've been looking at over the course of the last few weeks through this series. Exchanging the worship of our creator God for things that have been created. And what is being idolised here is not a golden calf or Baal or Ashtaroth, but a person, a political person to be exact. You see, idols aren't just objects or aspirations. They can be people and ideas too. You know, for centuries the world has idolised political leaders. Um, the ancient civilizations, they deified their rulers. They gave them godlike status. And to be honest, the modern world has done the same, has it not? Think how people glorified the likes of Mandela, Gandhi, Princess Diana, just to name a few. But even political ideas are worshipped. Nationalism, fascism, Communism, socialism, capitalism. Now, of course, we as Christians should take politics and voting seriously and 
we will have the opportunity to do that at the end of the year, won't we? With the, I think the general election is at the end of this year. Now, as preachers, we will never tell you who to vote for, but we would encourage you to vote with your conscience and to think which person is most in line with our Christian faith and values. Uh, that is a personal decision to make. But political leaders must never become an idol to us. They cannot solve all our problems. God has put them where they are. They are only human, finite and fallible. And they will come and they will go. And, and you know, who knows? Their career might be a commendable one, but it might also fall in disgrace. And again, we've seen plenty of that in our country over the past few years. It is not wise to put our trust in such a person. Better we do so to one worthy of our worship. The Lord Jesus is the King God appointed over all of us. And we should trust in him alone. And you see, Jesus is a king also who faced rejection. When he stood before Pilate, the Jewish mob declared, we have no king but Caesar. The son of God was substituted for an earthly son of Rome. And they too cried, not my king. And for those of us trusting Jesus, we ourselves will face rejection as his servants. But just as God consoled Samuel, the Lord Jesus consoles us too. Don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you, but me. That is the expectation for following Jesus. But faithful loyalty to Christ is immeasurably rewarded. It is immeasurably rewarded. But for those who have not accepted Christ who have rejected him. Well, we need to see the foolishness of trusting in other things. And this leads us to our second point, which is this. We have the warning of an earthly king. The warning of an earthly king. Look with me at verse 9. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Now, to me here, Samuel's sort of counsel or warning, it feels like it's the sort of terms and conditions that you have when you have a phone, new phone or you kind of get a cable contract, something like that. Yeah, God is saying, yes, you can have a king, but make sure you realize what, you, what you, you're getting yourself in for. You know, not only are you putting yourself under a new authority figure, but he will also claim as his right many things from you. And so Samuel warns by giving them those terms and conditions, the small print, if you like. Uh, let's read. I'm gonna, it's quite a big chunk, but let's read it again, verse 11 to 18. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his right. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and to reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. 
He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkey he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you, you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king who has chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Uh, now, apparently, the um, sovereign grant that supports our royal family apparently cost the taxpayer only £1.29. And now that seems fairly reasonable, perhaps. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, but perhaps more reasonable than what we've just read and what was demanded of, from the king of Israel. Six times in these verses, we're told the king will take. He will take sons and daughters. He'll take fields and crops. He'll take servants and livestock. He will take, 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 take. That is the reality of having a king they want, an earthly king. It will be like they are slaves and they will cry out for relief. He will give little but take much. And that is true of any earthly idol we put our trust in, whether king or thing. They demand, they take, they enslave. And that is God's warning to us. The only one who gives more than receives is King Jesus. Yes, we will become his servants. But he is a good master, graciously and generously giving to all who trust in him. And if we want to get a good understanding of what Christ has given us, there's no better place to go than Ephesians 1. You might like to turn there with me. Page 1173 in the Bibles. And this is just a good reminder, again, of what Jesus gives us when we put our trust in him. I'm going to read from verse 3 of chapter 1. I'll just let you get there. So page 1173. So, from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ.
So what does Jesus give us through his life, death, and resurrection? Well, we've been chosen to be set apart, to be declared right, to be declared blameless. We've been adopted. We've been given a family, a spiritual family. We've been given a son-like status. We've become heirs to receive an eternal inheritance. We have redemption set free through the most precious blood. We have been set free from our bondage of evil and worldly powers. And we now serve a good and faithful master. We have forgiveness, full pardon from sins. And we've been given understanding The mysteries of God that were once not known have been revealed to us. All things will come under Christ, the heavenly king. See what wonderful eternal blessings that we have been given in Jesus. And of course that only scratches the surface. No earthly king or ruler could give such things. Only King Jesus. Now, after hearing uh, Samuel's warning, we, we might wonder why God allows Israel's request for a king. It's, it seems a bit of a stupid thing to be doing. It's, uh, and particularly, not the right thing, especially when Israel right out refused to listen to Samuel. We see that in verse 19. Well, I think God told Samuel to fulfill this request not because their request was good or right, but because God would teach Israel a lesson through this. I guess when we occasionally persist on having something that is bad, God may allow us to have it, but then teaches us through it. And that is what happens here. God knew Israel would have a king, but he wanted to give his king his choice of a king, in his timing. Uh, Because Israel demanded a king for bad and kindly-minded reasons, God gave them a bad and uh, kindly-minded king. See, Israel will get what they want, and it will be a painful lesson for them. And so it turns out, as they choose who I like to call Tall Saul, he has the look of a king but not much else. Quite the opposite. But God would give Israel a better king. And that was King David. And he would go on really to be Israel's greatest monarch. Now, of course, he wasn't perfect. He was sinful. Uh, He did many things wrong. And yet still he was faithful to the Lord and his promises. But of course, David as well, he died, he came and he went. But from his royal line would come the Lord Jesus, God's true heavenly king. So let's not trust to idols, knowing that all they do is take from us. Let us trust in Jesus, God's heavenly king, knowing that he is so generous 
and gracious to us. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we ourselves have rejected the Lord Jesus as our King. When we have been tempted to put other things or even other people in place of him. When we ourselves have wanted to rule our own lives and not led the wonderful, faithful rule of the Lord Jesus rule us. Help us, we pray, Lord, to put our trust in Jesus as wholeheartedly as we can. And may we see the wonderful blessing, the generosity, the grace of everything that we have and that has been given to us through our wonderful heavenly King, Jesus. And we pray that in his name and for your glory's sake. Amen.